0: What does it mean to be a Saudi Arabian man growing up as a minority in Saudi Arabia and living both in the U.S. and Denmark? In this episode, Tawfiq shares with us the various ways he was othered due to his nationality and looks, particularly when he lived abroad. His story is about how harm towards certain communities manifests itself in various ways and on different levels. I'm Fumi, this is Hashik Our Racism, and this is the story of Tawfiq. Tawfiq was born and raised in Saudi Arabia for the first 25 years of his life. Growing up as one of the minority groups in the country, he was exposed to various issues around othering from a young age, both at the interpersonal and institutional level. It was only when he left Saudi Arabia and went to the U.S. and Denmark that he saw a different angle to the notion of othering, and more specifically, on stereotyping.
1: I went to the U.S., I met so many others from, you know, other different countries. I realized that we were okay. Yes, there was this, we belong to a certain label. We don't represent the majority in the country. But that happens in every almost every country. There's minorities and there's the majorities uh, across different domains. So in the US, I met so many people from different countries that I had a certain stereotype about before moving there or before meeting people from those countries and then i realized that not only the stereotype had less truth to it but also the way that country is perceived by its own people is very different than what me and people from my own category or from my country believed that's the way it is in that country. And those citizens of that country see themselves in their country. So I got to know that there's a lot of talking. People like to talk, and people love to go through stereotypes right away. The problem is stereotypes cannot be applied at the individual level. Stereotypes apply at the country level, yes. But it's very hard, and this is supported by empirical research that they don't apply. You cannot just bring someone and apply every stereotype. Let's say you are from country X and country X is known to, let's say, eat so much food. You cannot bring anyone from that country by just bring one person and say, this person is most likely to be, you know, diabetic because they eat a lot of food. No, that doesn't work. It has to be a population. You bring a whole population, and then you can apply that stereotype on that population given some statistical evidence that, yes. So if there's statistical evidence on that, then it is uh, at a, as a country level uh, stereotype. And if you do it again, if that you know statistical evidence is robust, it should replicate again, and you will see that stereotype manifesting at the population level. But if you bring one person, yes, there's randomness, right? So you might get someone, yes, within that average, but you might get someone who is like extremely fit or, you know, way far from that average score that kind of gives you the uh, stereotype at the country level.
0: Tawfiq shares two vivid memories from the U.S. and Denmark, where stereotypes were painfully applied
1: to him. I went there in 2012 or so. And as I mentioned, I come from Saudi Arabia, right? So there's that stereotype about Muslims. And that kind of got so bad in 2016 or so when Trump was the president or before like election time. And I know many friends who faced like serious racist behaviors. I was lucky I did not face many, but I faced a few that are kind of interesting. And they made me think, for instance, one time we were going out, me and a few friends, and a few friends, they brought a new friend from a certain race, but I looked like someone from the Middle East. And so the person asked me, you know, it was just getting to know me. And he asked me, where are you from? So I said, I'm from Saudi Arabia. And I said, what are you doing here? He said, well, I'm, I did my studies. I did my PhD. And then he he said something to me that I didn't hear. And I said, what did you say? And he was like, oh, it was too soon, right? I, I laughed. So I realized that he said something that was probably offensive to me. And I said, oh, no, no, I didn't hear you. Please tell me what it is. And he whispered to me, he said, in flying planes, you got a PhD in flying planes. And I looked back, I laughed. or well, I said, fuck you, because I I had no comments to say. And this is like very intuitive, uh, you know, gut feeling answer. And gut feeling answers are very truthful to represent Or they represent the person that that you're talking with yes they might later rethink it and fix it to be you know considerate of others but it's kind of hard like when you break it like that it's hard to be fixed so i was laughing in the end and i didn't care and and then uh would just i i tend to ignore situations like this so when i hear it or i see something yeah i just respond in a way and then and I move on. Something like that happened to me also here in Denmark. And again, I don't think these people represent the country, right? So they represent themselves. This is not to say this country is bad or good as compared to the other ones, but these people. And one time someone, uh, again, we were going out, someone saw me and he wanted to say hi. And the man said, Hey what's up you look you know you're smiling all the time I like, yeah I smile all the time and then he asked me where are you from and I said I'm from Saudi and this person said we love you so much although you look like Osama bin Laden and and that was very very sharp insincere And I would say it was insulting, not given what happened in the past 20 years. You're attaching, again, a stereotype to me as a person, and you don't even know what I've been through. So there are certain things um, when it comes to uh, these comments that I receive. Again, I grew up belonging to a minority. And in fact, not only these I would say that what happened in the past with these violent terrorist attacks, they don't care where who you belong to. They wanted to get what they wanted to get. So even in Saudi Arabia, many people got killed by these people. It's in the news. Like if you go and look up the news, many people got killed around that time, 2012, 13, by those same people. Now you like kind of this person is telling me that I belong to them. Well, they would kill me. What the hell are you saying? So people don't know exactly the details of these, I would say, major events that happened in the past. But then they just abstract the idea of a certain stereotype like this, and then they would shoot it in your face. I don't think they mean uh, bad sometimes, but they're just revealing their you know, it's fun. Right. But yeah, it is fun. But you don't even know me. And this takes a lot of time, you know, a lot of trust to build with someone before you are able to joke like that.
0: Tawfiq reflects on the context in which stereotypes may or may not be used and how he has learned to deal with them.
1: It is very contextual. It depends on the context, how you can use a stereotype with individuals or how you can apply a stereotype on individuals. Those conditions have to be satisfied first before you can apply that stereotype. If those conditions are satisfied, most likely it will be a laugh. You know, we're talking from a positive point of view. Like, I know you, you know me, you're like a close friend. We've been together for years. And then you bring up something related to uh, a negative stereotype about where I originated, like the country I, I grew up in. Yeah, in that case, yeah, we will laugh. But if those conditions were not met, like I just saw you on the street and you tell me that, that's not an okay behavior because that shows that this is who you are. This is how we see you. This is the lens we see you through as a human, as a person moving on the street. But that shouldn't be the lens that is being used to see me as a person You don't know me yet. Every person has different personalities. They have different backgrounds, regardless of the way they look. This is just based on the way you look and where you come from. You see how like uh, a judgment is made based on very simple two factors, that's it. So if those conditions were not met, that is, I would categorize that as racism. I wouldn't die if someone said that to me. I was like, I, again, I'm very loose, as I said. I'll probably respond in a way to make them think. There's many stories that happened to me. I would, like in 2016, I remember meeting someone, and I could tell that after I said I right, come from Saudi Arabia, that person was not very happy. And that person started asking questions about, you know, do you like your country? Do you like how it is being governed? I responded in a very calm way, like, yeah, I'm happy. I'm just here, you know, I'm your guest in here. So we love it there. We would love you to come and see it. I will show you around. And and then the person started actually bringing some positive things. Oh, how are the camels in there and the desert? Uh, So they wanted to know more about what's in there. But I was very sure when I met that person, you know, it was not a positive uh atmosphere you know so it was not good but then he that the person said he so he was like getting along after so once he know how to respond to them they kind of get it and then they realize that you are educated you know how to talk you can argue with logic and evidence and then i think these people can be fixed that way it's a dialogue i cannot claim that they can be fixed you know, by only this way, and not all of them will be fixed this way, but this is one way I would say I deal with it. So again, my personal, this is my personal, based on my personal experience, this is how I've been dealing with it. I think also, as I mentioned before, I smile a lot. So my smile many times helped me with, you know, a trigger for a racist behavior, but then it switched. It became, you know, a positive effect instead of that. And I, I'm I'm personally honored to to represent that, like in different countries, and when they, especially here in Denmark, there's not many Saudi Arabians. Probably less than fifty people in here. And when I meet many people, even Arabs, I'm the first one they met from Saudi Arabia. So when they see someone who is smiling and like happy, and then just you know talking uh, like in a calm way and open to discussion. They kind of have now a baseline of a whole country. So they will use this after. So hopefully, you know, you do your part. I do my part. And I hope everyone else does their part, regardless of where they come from. Right. Just do your part. If you go to another race, we're talking about racism, if you meet another race. And you show that you are in group, not out of group, right? So you are just a human like everyone else. And I think people appreciate that in general.
0: Beyond the social components of stereotyping, Tawfiq reflects on the interaction between social norms and the law when it comes to race.
1: A fact that is funny and not easy for us to understand Middle Eastern. when I was in the U.S., you know, sometimes you have to check your race when you apply for something. And we don't know if we're white, black, there is no brown. But according to census, we are white. So that is is kind of the conflict between what is in the law and what is in the social norms. So people would not categorize us as white. But according to the law, it says if you're from the Middle East, choose white. So that's according to census. So the law did not translate into the social norms that's a funny thing to know that kind of makes me feel that social norms in some situations are much stronger than the law if you're driving your car on the street in the highway if everyone is going beyond the speed limit police car would probably not pull you over because everyone is driving the same speed so you have to follow the speed of everyone else that's kind of social norms you know you're against the law but you're fine so in some situations, social norms are much stronger than a legal statement.
0: Tawfiq is an assistant professor in the field of information systems. For those of you who have never heard of the term information systems, it is a set of computer-based tools for collecting, storing, and processing data. Tawfiq shares an incident that took place whilst he was a PhD student an incident that would scare him for many years to come.
1: In our field, we have a conference called International Conference on Information Systems. So it used to be pronounced, the abbreviation is ICIS. So it used to be pronounced as ISIS. And that was back in 2016. That is the top conference in our field. And many people have changed the way they, they say it. But now I guess that the ISIS term is kind of dead so many people are back to the old term i personally don't feel comfortable even today when someone used that term but if they use it i wouldn't care much like yeah whatever if someone was super paranoid about this the worst thing that could happen is wasting my time they will waste my time by either thinking about it or even if someone reported you oh they're talking about this thing there's information asymmetry here is probably another factor that is important. You know, they don't know about the context of your conversation and therefore they might think it's something that is harmful. So one time we were going out and I've been, I used to go to this conference. I still go to this conference and it will happen in Copenhagen this year. So I think that was back in 2017. I was with a colleague and we were just having a good time and, you know, One of my friends was being funny. And this friend went and tell someone in that place we were in that, oh, he went to ISIS. It was right before the election time or was like the early time of like first year when Trump was president. So things were very hot in that regard. And I was paranoid because Now, why would you go tell a stranger at this time that this guy went to ISIS? What do you think they will understand? Do you think they will understand that, oh, he went to international conference on information systems? Hell no. And so I was very, I would say, upset and angry. I was so angry because, as I mentioned before, they would probably kill me before they kill this other friend or whoever is in there. And that is kind of what makes it very, very, I don't know. What's the word It's insulting. It's, it's nasty to say something like that to someone without knowing what they've been through. So to manage that situation, I went to that person. I said, this guy is not fully conscious now. And here's the conference. And well, luckily we were also at a conference uh, when we were there. So I showed the person that here, this is the conference, it's called this and that. And the friend wanted to fix this by saying, oh, he also won an award at ISIS. <laughs> I won an award at that conference. <laughs> so it was, you know, we have a term in Arabic, amaha. it means like you want to fix it, but you ruin it more. There's many other uh, sayings. Like stirring shit will just let, he's not gonna fix it. So, again, to manage that situation, I, you know, just told the other person look, this guy is not aware right now. And this is the conference, and, you know, this is me. Because it was a serious time. I saw the other, that person whispering to their friends that this guy went to ISIS. And that's not, if it was me, I would do the same thing. The time was very sensitive, but luckily nothing happened. So I kept checking like Twitter and like if, because this news could go viral and it's, the problem is a false positive. That is the waste of time. Now, false positives cost a lot of time, effort, and money, resources. So anyway, we, uh, that ruined my night. It was good time. Again, going back to good time. And that what happened in a good time. And then that killed the night, not only the night that killed me, I would say for maybe two years, I saw myself in that society as a threat. When I was just studying, I was doing research and, and I'm just living my life. That incident made me see myself as a threat to anyone who looked you know, different from me. And that was not nice because the fact is i didn't give a fuck about what's happening yes it was sad that was the situation and i of course don't i wouldn't say i you know um i don't categorize myself as belonging to these people and many muslims don't actually think that these people represent islam they don't represent islam at all but then people kept using that one category to make it the majority of Muslims. And that was the problem. When that category actually is attacking many other categories in the same religion uh, or even in the same race, Uh, we're talking like Arabs in general. So again, Trump and the situation in the US plus this kind of gave me two, I would say two uh, hard years in my life. So that is one of the experiences I had, but thankfully I, you know, Got it out of my mind by talking with friends and getting social and emotional support from others. You know, you have to let it out from your system because you're the innocent here being screwed. And I think that gave me a thick skin. That's I think that's kind of the word, a thick skin to be able to navigate situations. So when that thing happened to me here in Denmark, I didn't care. I laughed and... I actually, uh, several times I'll just say, I'm going to the bathroom, if someone is talking that way. So I go to the bathroom to flush them out of the system. That's kind of what I say.
0: Tawfiq recalls that there were discussions around changing the name of the conference and reflects upon the final decision.
1: As far as I remember, in 2016 or 17. not sure which year it was, but there was a voting around the name of the conference. So there was a discussion in the AIS association, but then the outcome was, no, we don't change the name. So they were considerate thinking about it, but I guess they had a procedure and the voting system led to this outcome that they wouldn't change the name. And I think the reason was that this is just something that will go away, but we, like ICIS, was founded, I think, in the 1980s. And then, you know, you had this name way before, like, uh, and and the the argument was, this whole thing around ISIS is going to disappear, and then we own this name before. I am not sure if it's going to disappear in the next few years. This term was instilled in almost everyone's mind those at least who lived that time so you need a few generations so that people forget about this term maybe this was their their you know argument i don't know but if it was if i had a choice and i am sure people from the middle east if they had a choice or any muslim they would not continue with this name they will most likely change the name At least the majority would choose to change the name. Again, I cannot speak on their behalf, but I don't think, I don't want to choose that name if I had a choice. But, you know, organizations are bigger than uh, individuals.
0: Against the background of his own research, his own experiences, and a controversial paper that came out in the field of information systems, Tawfiq shares his reflections on the terms equality and fairness
1: we know that in the past three years specifically after the george floyd event in the u.s that became a hallmark of any i don't know organization recruiter you know we uh we respect diversity so it's like they even the law required organizations to have that as part of their business processes like if you go rent a room you will see that they have a statement that we don't discriminate against your color or your religion as long as you are good following the uh, policy we have you should be able to rent from us well something that i don't think personally this again my personal views on here i don't think that term is the right term to use so let's take equality you can make everything equal but That does not necessarily mean the outcome will be more positive. It could be less positive than it was before. I think what's important is being fair. So fairness, not equal. And that requires a whole equation of understanding how to be fair to everyone. So then that gets to personalization. So giving everyone what they want and what they deserve, you need to understand who they are And therefore you can predict what their, what their needs or preferences are. And this connects me to the research I do. So this is the kind of the formula. If you want to be absolutely fair to everyone, you need so many data points or attributes about individuals to be able to treat them the way they want it to be treated. And at the same time, being fair to everyone else. There was a paper also in our field, information systems that. I don't remember the exact wording of the paper, but kind of the generic idea, the conclusions from that research. And it was conducted by uh, people well-known in the field that scars with an Indian background, they represent majority of the field. And therefore, that is kind of a problem like this shouldn't be happening. There was even like explicit statement, even in the abstract. I'm not saying the exact words now. But that's kind of the idea that conflates quality with race. So here now you want to be equal. So you want equal distribution of Indian race, American, Hispanic. I don't know, whatever, but then that's a trade off with quality. So whoever made it to like top quality, they made an achievement. And this is what the data shows. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So they, they climbed the ladder for years. And now this is like more, based on more than one generation. not only a few people that led to this majority in the field. If the standards that the the academic community has is objective to everyone, then be it. This is what we found after, I don't know, 60 years, the field has been there for about 60, yeah, 60, 50 to 60 years. It's a very young field. And that article, that research paper led to controversies in the field. And I think equality and inclusion, yes, it will affect inclusion. You Other um, communities or races or whatever, they're less included in this field. But this is not the way to fix it to shed light on this category and say they are the problem no they are not the problem the problem is there they need to do more so there should be a procedure to work on how do we get them to you know participate with the same quality and quantity and then you will be more inclusive of you know other races and therefore you're being fair to every uh category in here so yeah that's kind of an example i would say related to this the use of the term equality i've never I, agreed with this term since i was young i would say i'm sure and i'm not the only one who believes that if you see a, a meme for instance with uh i remember one of these from a long time ago you know a stare if you're if you're tall and i'm short it doesn't make sense to give me the same stare to look at behind the wall. I need a, a taller stair or brick to look up the wall in there. Because you're taller, you'll be able to see if you get that. But I don't. I still don't get it. So now we're we're being we're applying equality, but we're not being fair.
0: Tawfiq has the following to say regarding what he thinks people need to do to become anti racist.
1: Awareness and education. So being aware that racism is part of us as humans and being educated in terms of how to deal with racist behavior or a racist, an event that is shaped by racism. So this awareness education and, you know, both of these, they kind of let you let it go when it happens. So it's not a big deal. Because I've seen in in the U.S. I've seen incidents where like, come on, what do you mean racism? This is just a normal behavior. Something said something, like very very minor. And uh, I'm sorry, there there are people that exaggerate the meaning of racism. Uh, sometimes it's well, it is part of of us, and so being aware that it exists and accepting that it's part of human behavior, communication style, and educate myself on how I would manage situations that involve racism, take it and then think about it after, feed into your predictive model in your brain. So in the future, when you face something like that, you can be better off dealing with it in the future. And again, I laugh, I laugh a lot when when things like that happen. So that has helped me to be anti-racist.
0: You can find more information on Tawfiq's work, as well as other articles, books and videos he recommends people to take a look at on racism on our website, www.ourcontext.org. You can also find the transcript of this episode on our website in English, French, German and Italian. If you have a personal story to share, reach out to us on our website, Instagram or Twitter. You can find us by typing in hashtag our underscore racism. This is FUMI and Hashigar Racism. See you next month on November 9th. This episode was produced and edited by me, FUMI. Music by Pete Morris, Crescent Music and Fugu Vibes. This podcast is powered by the Competence Center for Diversity and Inclusion at the University of St. Gallen. A big thank you to Tawfiq for his invaluable time and energy in going down memory lane for us, sharing with us honest, raw, and timely reflections on this issue.